0: awesome is, is
1: your so i've got like in the show notes i've got your substack link um as well as your podcast link you know the apple link um in the podcast um when i pull that up it shows jenny hatch.com that's not an active link is it for you
0: no, I've been really messed with online by various people. I imagine. So, <laughs> i
1: I'm sure with the work you're doing, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, so I um, I wish I still had that URL. I had it for years, but it's, it's, it's dead.
1: No worries. I just wanted to clarify because, yeah, I put it in and then I went went to it. And I'm like, oh, better take that out.
0: Yeah, somebody told me it's Chinese porn.
1: So. <laughs> oh, really? it was something weird i just i mean i didn't really look at it it just was something funky and then i just i mean didn't have any pictures or anything on the page but yeah it wouldn't surprise me (laughs) just try to answer you for doing the things you're doing (laughs) so well yeah like we both talked about i you know i just like to you know start out doing intro and just kind of have an organic conversation and see where we go is that cool with you
0: yeah, I just feel like I need for for my own sake to start with just a disclaimer and this is for my own future bishoprics and stake presidencies that as yeah. a faithful member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who's currently temple holder, uh temple card holder and, you know, fully active in my ward, what what some would call an orthodox member of the church, um right. I do not believe that having this podcast with Steve in any way means that I am an apostate person in a state of apostasy. My goal with all of my work online is to help victims of crimes. And because I have experienced similar crimes, any place where I can share my message, my story, to be of help to those victims, I'm going to do that. Even if I have to go to hell itself to preach my story and my message of hope. And I believe my story has already helped many, many people. And Steve just helps to further share my message. And so it's why I'm here, but I'm, I still love the church and I have a deep and abiding testimony of the church. So now I feel like we can begin.
1: Well, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. I think that's, you know, perfect way to start out. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm still a member of the church as well. I'm going through some things, you know, as, as some of my listeners definitely know that, you know, we're, you know definitely challenging as, as you probably are aware of and it's one of those things that i i am doing this 100 percent to try to find truths and to share the truths that i find and also to expose the things like you're talking about i mean when we're talking crimes especially when people are hurt and damaged you know physically and mentally there just has to be some accountability and that stuff needs to be exposed so I really appreciate the work that you've been doing and have done and uh, just appreciate you being here. So thanks so much for being here, Jenny. Um, I'd love to, you know, maybe have you give a little background of, of your past and kind of, you know, where you've been and what got you to the point where you're doing the work that you're doing um, to try to, that really does help people, like you say, I, I often say if, you know, if there's something that I can do that just helps one person, You know, I have a second podcast that I talk about once in a while called Live After Addiction and Indictment. And that is simply, and if I can help one person that's dealing with that or a family member who's dealing with an addict, that's why I do that. You know, I don't do it. I don't monetize it in any way, but I've been through that and it is living hell. And I don't wish that onto, you know, an enemy, frankly. I hope I don't have any enemies, but that's just the best way to put it because it, you know, I danced with the devil for 14 years that they'll be, it's after being diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And it, it was living hell. So,
0: and is it you true? Know, you were in prison for two years. You said federal prison uh, somewhere. Yeah, I think yeah, that's correct. our moments of clarity come with these lockup situations. I've been locked up several times in mental hospitals. And so when you go through that lockdown and time slows down and you're forced to confront whatever your demons are, it's very clarifying. And so I'm, I'm grateful that I had those experiences, you know, that I call it the Joseph moment. You've seen Joseph an amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. You know, he oh, yeah. sings his song in prison, close every door to me. And you just, you know, you're at, on your knees begging the Lord for whatever you need in the moment. And it shapes the whole rest of your life.
1: Boy, that is so, <laughs> so true. You know, when you have everything taken away and you are stuck and you I mean I I tell people and say this many times is there's things I did in my addiction that definitely would have put me in you know jail possibly prison um, you know the I was totally sober when I got you know hit with this this mortgage fraud case for my appraisal firm doing work for some people that were doing these double closes and I still say that you know The things that I did in my addiction would have put me in prison, you know, the things that put me there for this case, you know, there was nothing I did for that, but, you know, it was a blessing. It was a, it was horrible, but for exactly what you said, it was a huge blessing because it doesn't take much time at all. When you are just stuck, you cannot, you know, there's nothing you have to focus on other than right there where you're at and looking at the man in the mirror you know, you quickly gain clarity that oftentimes you you may even have known about or had beliefs about, but you get tied up in the rat race of life, so to speak, and it's not as easy to see, you know, and so it wasn't but just a short, short time, a few days. In fact, I remember calling home about three weeks in, and my oldest boy at the time, I've got four boys and a little girl we adopted who's not little anymore, she's 18, but Um, you know, he's a senior in high school and I call home and, you know, and I was one of those dads who all my boys were baseball players. And, you know, if I bought the new, the time I can, the the brand, you know, the bat I think of back in that day was a Wilson stealth, it's like a $299 bat. And I'm the idiot that, you know, thinks I have to get every boy one, you know? And so just, that's just a, a little example, but, you know, my son that's now a senior in high school and I'm gone and he's really become the man of the house, Um, you know, just on that first phone call when it was just he and I, you know, said, you know, dad, none of that stuff matters, you know, and that is so true, you know, but it's so easy to get caught up in things and, you know, and I was guilty as, (laughs) as guilty can be of, you know, trying to define who I was by money and stuff. And that's why I believe I had that experience because I had to learn who Steve was and not think those things are what defined me. And I had to find that, you know, love for self. So it was a positive experience, no doubt, even though it was a tough one. But, you know, it's it's what we make of it, make of the trials that we go through and choose to do with it. We can either be victims and sit there and, and, you know, continue to be negative and whine, or we can take control of our life and, you know, try to see the light from the darkness.
0: Well, I love hearing your story in greater depth because it's in our common humanity where we can really offer some hope to those who are just drowning in the sin. And I have deep compassion for those who are perpetrators. Because I believe all of them were also victims. And so I, I don't feel it's my job to condemn anyone, but I do align with President Russell Nelson in his most recent conference talk on abuse. I put it front and center on the front page of my Substack, upper left hand corner, for anybody who wants to go watch it. It's the most recent general conference. And he just stated that Heavenly Father, cannot allow us to just wallow in our sin. You have to step out and make things right, whether that's with a bishop or with law enforcement. If you know that you have molested or raped a child, you are vic- you are guilty of a crime. And so it is in this criminal space that we're looking for justice with deep compassion and understanding that you probably were victimized and even groomed to commit these crimes. I understand that side of it, but we also have to be very, very uh, aware of potential victims doing whatever we can as a society to make certain that others are not victimized. We need to be concerned about those who are victimized in the past, helping them to get justice. And I am most deeply concerned about those who are hearing these stories in the media, who all of a sudden feel deep, depression, even suicidal feelings, but they do not understand where those feelings are coming from. And that is why I am on your show today, Steve, because I am the most concerned about those who have buried their trauma. It's been so heinous that they had no conscious memory of what happened to them, but they're just now starting to wake up and find themselves in a whirlwind of hurt and suicidal depression. This is where I found myself In 2011, which, you know, think about it. It's just a short, what, 12 years ago? 12 years ago.
1: It's crazy. Yeah.
0: And up to that point, I'll just give the most brief overview of my life up to that point, because it was that point I started to remember the satanic ritual abuse that I was subjected to as a child. And how old was Uh, I that year? I'm 55 now. So I was well into my 40s, well into my 40s when I started to remember that. So I was born in Detroit, Michigan, into a family that were faithful members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My parents met at BYU. My dad was a full-time seminary teacher. He taught in the Star Valley, Wyoming seminary program full-time for three years. My mom and dad had three little boys, my older brothers, and then they decided they wanted to move home to Michigan where both sets of grandparents were. And so my parents moved home to Michigan, my dad got a job working on a car line as an assembly worker, and my mom got pregnant with her fourth baby. And this is 1966-ish, and they were faithful members of the Bloomfield Hills stake, which is the same stake where uh, George Romney and his wife and son Mitt Romney were members. And so my family was settled into Michigan, ready to move on with their lives. When one day my parents were invited to a party. I don't know who invited them to this party, but I believe it was at this event that they were, uh, I'll use the word manipulated. I don't know what happened at the party, but something happened and my mom lost her baby. So I suspect which if you've read the Pace Memo, have you read the Pace Memo? Yeah. Okay. When you read the Pace Memo and see that there's this group, you know, of people who claim they were compelled to kill one of their own children, you're like, what does that look like? How do they make you do that? I still don't really know. I don't know if people are drugged or somehow um, tortured themselves into doing this. I don't know how that works.
1: Yeah, that's got to be... Something weird for sure.
0: Because wow. my mom lost her fourth baby. Now, my mom was very beautiful and musical, very talented musically. And so I believe that the cult, and I'll call them the establishment cult, and these are not right. necessarily Mormon people, all Mormon people. In in right. various locations, they are people in business and education and the arts and sports, and they are just the local establishment and there's one of these groups in Detroit, and there were members of the church who were part of it, but they go looking for people that they can pull into the cult because they want to prey on those people's children and then groom those children to do their bidding. They like to mess with kids who are like fourth, fifth, and sixth in line and a big family, and there's a couple of reasons for this that I'm not going to delve into deeply with this show because it's just too time consuming and most of it i've learned from my own research and just kind of like nudges from the holy spirit about why they want these middle children so my mother lost her fourth baby and then she got pregnant with me and she was allowed to to carry me full term they like to have their their minions their uh, those of us who are controlled move through the wombs of a woman who's been tortured like that. It does, it does something psychically to us to know that we have a sibling who's been murdered by our own parents. And it just creates this fragility in our minds that they're able to capitalize on. And so I was born and uh, my mother is a wonderful mother. You know, my parents did a wonderful job raising me to love music and the gospel and all of the good things of life. Um, We always gardened and and she was a wonderful cook and taught us music. And so I believe I was being groomed to be an influencer in the music industry and as um, one of the potential people, because they've got many of these people all over the world, but one of the potential people to be one of their divas. And a diva personality is someone who is so obedient to whatever they're being told to do. And yet they have this amazing talent, whether it's in music or sports or intellects, uh, intellectual endeavors or whatever, that they're able to just kind of like seize their power and use it for their own good, their own, their own goals. And so I was being, I was given this diva programming, which meant that at the age of seven, I had my initiation into the cult. And what that looked like is, and I I really want people to think about this, okay? I was on a school field trip in the third grade. There were parents who went along on this field trip. We went to a farm north of where my school was in Berkeley, Michigan. It was called Patton Gill Elementary. We went to this farm called Upland Hills Farms just a few minutes away in Auburn Hills, At that farm, I experienced my initiation in the full light of day with adults from my school and the community there. They had grouped us off into a group where most of the kids were with their parents, visiting the farm, you know, doing all the activities. And this other small group was taken off by ourselves. And I was forced to murder a little boy. He was a little black kid. They had grabbed off the streets of Detroit. Or somehow gotten him through, you know, social services or whatever. But I was compelled to, to kill this child. I had a gun. They made me shoot him. And then they sodomized this child in front of me. All the adults went over and started. And I didn't understand this side of it for years. It was like, why did they do that? You know, this, you know, penis in the wound type sodomizing. It was so bizarre. And it was one of the things, as I was trying to reconcile this memory, I was like, why would they do that? Well, Fiona Barnett, who's from Australia and has been a very vocal um, person sharing her stories. She's written a book. She taught me that this is what they do when they torture someone. There's all these wounds on them. They love to go sodomize the wounds. It's a Luciferian thing. So her, so me, me telling her that detail, she was like, oh, that's definitely a satanic ritual because you don't, you know, when you're remembering, you don't know what you're, what is this, you know? And so she, she confirmed to me, this is absolutely satanic.
1: So So what the the only child pulled or were there a few others?
0: There were other children there, but I was the one who did the killing. If there were other killings, I haven't remembered that yet. Gotcha. But it was my initiation into the cult at the age of seven. Now, what the goal is, is they want somebody to so dissociate that memory that, of course, they have no memory of it. But the next day, is the child able to get up, go to school, and not show any outward signs of experiencing that level of trauma? And I passed the test. I got up the next day, went to school, no memory, completely buried it. Didn't even seem to have any symptoms. And this is exactly the person they want because it's evidence that they have not, you know, they've not remembered anything. The kid who's like, you know, agitated and stress disorder and starts doing drugs and alcohol, that's not the one they want. They want the person who's completely overcome with the trauma because that is the person they can control the best. Now, I personally believe my older brother, Dave, experienced similar programming and immediately had all sorts of symptoms from the time he was a little boy until the day he died of an opiate overdose. He was a drug addict. He had 17 lockups during his life. He was an alcoholic. He blasted through three marriages. There was just never ending distress from the time he was a little boy. If, if it had been, you know, any other time, he would have been labeled ADHD, put on the meds. They didn't do that back in the 70s. Yeah. But he had all the classic hallmarks of somebody very, very off in their emotional body. I was the complete opposite. I was the perfectionist. I was the kid who, you know, just was hyper vigilant about everything. And yet Dave and I were the best of friends to the point where yeah. when he died of that drug overdose, I was... Uh, In my early 30s, um, it was that event that triggered me to start remembering just the sexual abuse because there was also some incest in my family. This is the other thing they go looking for. They want kids who are in families where there's obvious incest and molestation going on. And my dad was a pedophile. So... They use that because if the kid ever has any symptoms and it comes out in the open, they can point to the family pattern, sexual abuse and say, that's all it is. You know, this provides cover for the satanic elements of it. And so Fiona taught me that too. That's one of the main reasons they go looking for children who are in these incestuous homes. How much my parents participated in cult activities after their initial, you know, welcome to the club. I don't know. I really don't. I suspect at first it's, you know, abhorrent everything that's happening for a couple of years, then they get comfortable with it. And then they go through rebellious phases where they're like, Oh, we got to get out of this. But then somebody in the cult is killed in a very obvious way. And I know this happened to people in my stake. There was a young mom who would drive her kids to early morning seminary She's dead in a car accident. And I just remember my mother telling the story of this death and just being so freaked out, you know, and it was beyond just normal grief. It was like, that was a warning to everybody, you know, do not step out of line. We will kill you. We will kill your kids. And so they're captured. And it's the reason why I, I have great respect and compassion for my parents and the, Incredibly difficult position they were in, especially oh, when we absolutely. were all little kids. So yeah, you know,
1: they're not going to you know, take the parent out. They obviously, they, from what I've researched as well, they definitely, you know, threatened to take and kill the children or a child or something. You know, it's like you say, once you're captured, that is a horrific position to be in.
0: And my dad died two years ago, and. While I'm grateful he's gone and he can't perpetrate on other children anymore, I still think of him with deep compassion. You know, that he was in this horrifying situation. Um, Perhaps in his darkest moments felt completely alone. Or maybe he and my mom talked. I don't know. But when I started to yell about what happened to me as a child, my parents, it's almost like they were prepared you know, to just like how to deal with me because um, you know, I claimed of course, that I had memories that were coming up that had been suppressed. And at first, for like the first 10 years, all I remembered was the family abuse, my uncle, some of my cousins. and then eventually I started to remember what my dad did. But this was like a 10 year process of mem- remembering. And time I would speak out, it was the same response. It was you're crazy. We all know Jenny's crazy. You know, none of this happened. My dad was a patriarch in the church. So there's no way that a patriarch would do these things. And so it was just like, she's crazy. That was the answer for everything.
1: Well, how did that affect you? I mean, that's gotta be just terrible to.
0: It was horrifying. And because.
1: Did you doubt it then at times and and wonder if you. Oh yeah.
0: Oh, Definitely. I mean, I had a suicidal depression when I was 15. I had a postpartum psychosis when I was 21. And this is where I had my first big lockup. I had a complete um, psychotic episode a couple of weeks after my oldest daughter was born and landed in a mental hospital. And it was in that hospitalization when I had my, you know, close every door to me, you know, Joseph in in prison moment. Um, But... I honestly believe women go psychotic because they are so afraid that their own children are going to be tortured the way that they were. And you feel this helplessness, like, how can I protect my child from all these predators all around in my own family? And while I wasn't consciously thinking of that, it was like, I can't keep her safe. There's no way I can keep her safe, you know? And so as a young mom, when we were given the opportunity to get out of Detroit, and go somewhere else with my husband's company, I was the one who was like, let's get out of here. you know. Let's just go. And so when we landed in in Boulder, Colorado, I was expecting my second daughter, and it was such a blessing to be completely away from my family, from that cult in Detroit, and just off on our own because I felt like I could protect my kids. Now, I didn't understand that I invited predators into my home in the form of my own family members, You know, I didn't know that because I wasn't conscious of it at the time, but I did do that. And I felt great, you know, shame and guilt over subjecting my children to potential predators. But like I said, at the age of 33, my brother died and it was his death that triggered my memories to start coming up. And I worked with a wonderful therapist, an LDS man here in my stake in Boulder. And he was the key to kind of helping me start down the right path. Because I had been so medicated during that first breakdown that I really was wary of using psychiatric meds. They had had me on Haldol, lithium, Prozac, and Stelazine, which is a heavy duty tranquilizer. So for that first year after my breakdown, I was just snowed with all these drugs, not helpful. And so I um, worked with a psychiatrist in Cincinnati we had moved to Ohio. I worked with this female psychiatrist who helped me to wean slowly off of each drug. I told her I wanted to have more kids. And you can't be pregnant yeah. non-lithium. And she yeah. was wonderful. She was worth every ounce of effort it took to get to her. She was an hour away. But we went down there and worked with her as in couples therapy. And I, I did several solo sessions with her. Got off all my meds. And then she just, like, wished me well. You go, girl. Go for it. And that that is so unusual in psychiatry because be some of them just want, you know, they'll say, oh, you're going to be on it for the rest of your life or whatever. And so I, you know, weaned off everything with her. And then I found an ortho molecular doctor. And these are MDs who work with people who are emotionally struggling using nutrients. So oh, wow. I found this doctor in Ohio who specialized in emotional illness, and he put me on B vitamins, a really good mineral supplement. And he just kind of pointed me in the right direction. And then we moved to Boulder, and I was I was in the land of fruits and nuts. There's like a health food store on every corner in Boulder. Oh, yeah. There's tons of natural healing doctors. And there's just a feeling in the air of self-empowerment and alternative we had this guy who had a van when we first moved into town who had written on his van in spray paint uh psychiatry kills do not let them drug your children oh,
1: that's so,
0: awesome. so this guy's driving around boulder all i'd see his van occasionally i'm like you go guy i know exactly what you're talking about because i had started reading the books written by people like peter bregan toxic psychiatry talking back to prozac these are classic books that were very helpful to me to understand how problematic uh, psychiatric meds are. And so I'm so grateful, Steve, that for these 35 years, I really only had that first year of heavily medicated. And then when I went in the hospital in 2012, I took a few pills just to keep the staff happy, you know, to get along. And then once I got out, I stopped taking it. So I have done
1: come across those two people, man. What a blessing that had to be.
0: Well, I almost feel like Heavenly Father just, you know, with the job change, just kind of plucked us out of this situation that was impossible. I don't believe I would have healed the way I did if I had been physically close to my family and my old stake. He plucked us out and put us in a place where both my husband and I have been able to find tremendous people to work with. Uh, A church community that's a little bit more liberal, progressive, not so, you know, trust your doctor-ish. And so it was a great place to raise our five kids. I've got five kids, too. How old are you? I'm 55.
1: Same age, 55.
0: Yeah, see, I feel like our generation has this special calling to just kind of call everybody on their BS, you know? Absolutely. You know, it's something in the water perhaps being born in 68 when it was such a crazy time for the nation. Anyway, yeah. my mother was pregnant with me during the 67 riots in Detroit. They, oh, wow. they, the house we lived in was 20 minutes from where the worst fires and, and mayhem happened. And so wow. I feel like, you know, those of us who were gestated in this whirlwind of crazy um, were sent down here to do a special mission to kind of like help expose everything all of the deep state stuff, the establishment stuff, the satanic and drug industrialist mayhem. And we're doing it. You know, we're doing it. We've got these tools of the internet and our phones and we're just calling it all out. And I think it's it's why we're here. At least why we're here right now. (laughs) Yeah. So I am grateful that I did my healing off the psychiatric meds because I believe one of the biggest problems with it is that you get on the drug merry-go-round where you take a drug for a while and then you go back in and the doctor's like, you're on the wrong dose. Okay, I'll try that for a while. Oh, you're on the wrong med. We've got 10 more we can try. And so you get on this merry-go-round where you're constantly messing with dosaging, have a couple of hospitalizations for bum reactions to this or that drug, and you never know if it's the drug that's causing your symptoms or the organic illness, which often is, trauma, torture, rape, molestation. And so I'm glad I was able to do it sober. And I mean, sober off any sort of pharmaceuticals because all of the distress that has come up has been, it belongs to me. It's not a side effect. And believe me, I've had, I've had symptoms, but it's comforted me to know this is not from a drug, you know, this.
1: Oh yeah. All the drugs are just, you know, usually just masking the symptoms anyway. So you're never really addressing and able to really deal with the actual, you know, reason behind the symptom.
0: And I don't care whether it's a street drug or a pharmaceutical you've been prescribed or it's off the, off the shelf. A drug is a drug. They have similar, similar properties. Often it's the same companies creating the same illegal drug as legal drug. So let's have some clarity on that. And my message to those who are healing is, while well, you may be able to get some initial symptom relief, If you're suicidal or anxious or whatever, I don't think it's going to be the long-term solution for your healing journey. And because I've done it sober and very clear about what was what, this is one of the main things I offer to people in terms of the book I wrote, which is A Mother's Journey, which I wrote that before I started remembering anything. I wrote it in 1999. I did not start remembering it in 2001. So for those who would just like my perspective on on my healing journey from just postpartum psychosis, I wrote that book sharing all kinds of physical things I did. And I do believe the physical is a good place to put your energies if you haven't started remembering yet. Exercise, good nutrition, stay hydrated, get enough sleep. These are the basics. These are the basics. And they lead to good physical health which will increase your mental health as, as you're working to the place. And I think we're all kind of working to a place where we feel mature enough and healthy enough in our own relationships to finally start reconciling our own abuse, which often doesn't happen until you're in your thirties or forties. And so for those who are, those who are feeling um, besieged by flashes of memory or depression or mania and just, you know, I just want to remember, you can't force yourself to remember anything. You can't sit there and will yourself, okay, I want to remember my abuse and get it gone in 24 hours and then I'll move on with my life. That's not how it works. It has to come up as you're able to face it. And like it or not, it's taken me over 20 years to reconcile my abuse, which was heinous and awful. The worst of the worst. The things you read about in the Hamblin victim statements those daughters. Yeah, I've read
1: those.
0: Yeah, I have two. Jeez. There are certain things in those statements I never even shared with a therapist or wrote in a journal wow. because they were so horrifying to me to remember. And yet I'm sitting here reading this, these victim statements of these women who were all the way across the country who had the exact same experiences I did. And I was like, okay, I guess this is a thing. I guess my memories were right. It helped me reconcile to read those things i experienced wow. two two abortions when i was a child early abortions the satanists never worry about the girls getting pregnant because of their orgies because Jeez. they once the girl starts to show they just sacrifice the baby they abort it and sacrifice it really? use it in their rituals that's in the hamlin statements and this happened to me twice <clears throat> twice in middle school Somebody got me pregnant. I don't know who. I think it was probably my dad. I don't know. Somebody got me pregnant, and those two babies were aborted. The, honestly, Steve, that, those processing those memories took me right to death's door. I almost died remembering and reconciling. I'm <clears throat> getting emotional talking about. It. Um Imagine. and were the hardest to to face squarely. And I reconciled all of that before. I was introduced to these materials just this past summer, you know, so, so when I read the statements of what these girls suffered with these abortions, um, I was able to be in a place of compassion. I know how that feels. I experienced that too and send them my loving support. And it, it just makes me wonder how many, how many young women around the world have also experienced what I perceive to be the ultimate horror and to the Satanists, this is their ultimate ritual is to abort a child, sacrifice it, you know, that's to them that's the high peak of what they do. I gotta get a drink.
1: Right. Yeah, go ahead. That's what just makes me sick is like you said, how many people out there a, have gone through this, you know, that are suffering, maybe don't have, you know, the memories coming back yet, but you know, we've got to be able to find a way to get these you know, people help because I mean, living with that has just got to be horrific. Well, you
0: know? I'll, I'll share with you the story from when I was hospitalized in 2012, because honestly, this is where I'm the most concerned during 2011. I, for months I was suicidal and it didn't make any sense because I had gotten to a relatively healthy place with my work with therapists, reconciliation of all the, trauma around just being molested and raped by various members of my family. And that is all that my mind would allow me to remember to that point. But I was like, okay, I'm done. It's over, you know, ready to move on. Then 2011 hits and I'm just engulfed with these suicidal feelings. and I was so angry because it was like, I'm over this, this, I don't want to be back here, you know, but I had to face it. And by early 2012, I determined it was not fair to expect my husband and my kids, who were all teenagers at the time, to have mom on suicide watch, you know, and, and play the role of therapist. It wasn't fair to them. And it's yeah. not like I told them a lot how I was feeling, but they could tell I was in deep distress. So I checked myself into the hospital just to, you know, get some space away from my family And to try to, you know, just, what is this? Fortunately, I had a Mormon bishop who, I don't think this is an accident. He grew up in California and his parents had been people who had welcomed victims of ritual abuse into their home and helped them when they were teenagers. So he had a deep understanding of uh, just the whole big picture. And when I told him what I was reconciling, which was the murder of that child when I was seven years old, he believed me. Wow. Yeah. What's the chance of that? I
1: mean, that's phenomenal. I mean, like you said, there's no accidents there.
0: And it wasn't just that he believed me. He gave me a blessing. And in the blessing, he promised me that I would heal and I would be able to live with myself because I was engulfed with guilt. You know, I was shame and guilt. And the doctor I was working with was this older guy just in the hospital. He was like in his late sixties. He had spent the early part of his career doing research on ritual abuse. Oh my gosh. Again, a a divine signature to me from the Lord that this guy, when I told him what happened, he believed me. So these two men who I'm working with were not gaslighting me. We're not second guessing me. They were like, yeah, this is plausible. I think this happened. In fact, my bishop said that he had a witness from the Lord that I was in no way to blame for what happened. And I had to forgive myself and that that would be the key to my healing. Because, you know, you're a seven-year-old child. Of course, you don't mean to do this, but... I still blamed myself for that death. He said, you got to let that go. And it was like, really? You got that from the Lord? Yes, Jenny, you have to let that go. You are not to blame. Heavenly Father forgives you. You are good. And once I heard that, that was the key to me moving forward. But in this suicidal space, you know, months of just like being tempted to commit suicide, thinking about it, obsessing about it. It was like, where is this coming from? What I learned is that they, the Satanists have a kill switch that they embed into your mind when you're a child, that if you believe and remember these things happening, that you will kill yourself rather than reconcile it. So they embed you with this it, they think of it as their failsafe. you know? Not only have we oh, traumatized yeah. this person to the point where she has no memory of this happening, if it appears that she is ever going to remember, she's going to kill herself because, you know, that,
1: oh, that's crazy.
0: but that's how they protect themselves.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So oh. it is those other victims, men and women, who are right now feeling suicidal, like they can't stay and reconcile, It is to those people I'm the most deeply concerned about today. Perhaps you find yourself engulfed in suicidal feelings. You don't understand why you're feeling this way. You you don't want to see the truth. You don't want to know what happened to you. Perhaps at the hands of your own family, your parents, your grandparents, your loved ones, your neighborhood. You don't want to face it. My message to you is that you can get over this hump of whatever they did to you by saying to yourself, These are not my thoughts. This is not me saying, hey, I got to get out of here. These thoughts were implanted in my brain by other people who had evil intentions and didn't want me to know the truth about myself, what I suffered. These are not my thoughts. Once you can get to that place, it is much easier to walk forward into the truth and say, okay, my thoughts are, I want to know what happened. I want to know what this is. Are my family involved? Are they involved back four or five generations? I want to see the truth. And once you get to that place, that is where you will find the healing. That is my witness and my testimony. And then I believe there will be people who come into your life in the form of friends or therapists or a podcast, or book, who will help you move into the next stage where you can reconcile. And it was very helpful for me to get my hands on Laura Davis's book, The Courage to Heal Workbook, which I just bought at a local bookstore. It's also available on Amazon. And this is a journal that helps you to work through all of this stuff on your own. If you're feeling like, I don't want to talk to anybody about this. I don't want to go to a therapist. I don't have the money to go to a therapist or whatever your reason is. You can get this book. And it was so helpful to me. The first thing she said in that book was, okay, you're in a whirlwind of distress. You are feeling crazier than you've ever felt before. This is good. This is a sign that you are ready to heal, that you are physically strong enough and emotionally strong enough. And you're in a, a place with your relationships where you feel safe enough to reconcile. This is great. And I read those words and I was like, feeling about as crazy as I had ever felt in my life. And this woman's telling me it's good. Well, it was. It was good. It was evidence that I was ready to move forward.
1: What was the title of that again?
0: The Courage to Heal workbook. Laura also wrote a book called The Courage to Heal. Laura Davis, very helpful. And she also believes that, you know, there's so much abuse literature written just for women. And Laura's big thing is, no, this is a male and female thing. And so the book yeah. was written very open heartedly to both men and women and men, especially are so reluctant to go to therapy, work with people, talk about their sexual history. They do not want to do that. But this book yep. is so helpful to just work through your feelings, recognize where, where you are. And once you do that, you're like, okay, I've got this. You feel more empowered. So I would strongly encourage anyone who suspects that, They've been a victim of either sexual abuse or ritual abuse or both because Lord knows they're intertwined uh, to to reach out, get this book and then just systematically work through it as you're able. That's
1: great. I'll put that in the description as well. So people can refer to it. Wow. So that's, that's incredible. You know, I've, I've listened to a few people, Um, that you know have experienced this and it's pretty typical for really no memories for a couple of decades typically isn't it and then they just slowly come back is that is that a normal thing to your knowledge
0: it is and there will often be a triggering event like my brother's death or there'll be some some big shakeup in their life that will start the mind to to start reconciling and before that you'll often have nightmares or flashes, or you'll smell a smell and it will trigger a memory and you're like, what is this? And so you will have little flashes of something that are troubling. I, I had a recurring nightmare as a child of a clown. it's was a circus clown in a tree outside my window watching me. I had this nightmare over and over throughout my childhood. And I believe they did what's called clown programming, where you're, you're terrorized at some of their sessions with clowns. And, and it's just to kind of like, again, terrorize you. And, and one of the goals they have too, is to make you feel like you're constantly being observed. You're constantly being stalked and, and you are, but you know, to just know that there's nowhere you can turn to, to get away from them and what they're observing about you. And so you feel, you know, just besieged all the time. And then you know, if you have the next layer of that, which I did, with your own father in the house, kind of stalking you in your home, and my dad was what what is termed an opportunistic child molester, which means he wasn't the creep outside the elementary school, you know, stalking children, but when the opportunity presented, for him, my mom's away, the opportunity's there, he pounced. And so um, I, I have a standing offer. I put this out on my Facebook and my blog. Anyone who came to a slumber party at my house as a child, and there were many, who believes or suspects that my dad molested or raped them, I'm here to support you, validate you. I blush with shame and horror, thinking about how many potential victims there are. I have had one person contact me and validate that, yes, my dad raped them too that person is not ready to go public with their story, but it was validating to me to hear, you know, yes, this person did this to me too. I believe there are probably many victims. And when, when my memory started to come up, what my mother did, and this is again, where I felt like she was prepared by the establishment, by the cult. One of the things they do is they deny the possibility of repressed memories They call it False Memory Syndrome. And there was a False Memory Syndrome organization. They hired Elizabeth Loftus to write the definitive book, False Memory Syndrome. And it was my own mother who kind of like threw that book at me. And in an email to my whole family, she said, you know, this is not a thing. These repressed memories, it's false. Here's a book I read that really helped me to understand Jenny better. I suggest you all read this book. These are the things that were being said about me over the years to my family. And come to find out, again, from my friend Fiona Barnett, false memory syndrome, the families who started it were a bunch of pedophile families whose own children were outing them. And (laughs) it's shut down since then, from what I hear. But for years, it was the false memory syndrome who were the experts about this, and it's not a thing. Repressed memories are very obvious in military circles. Post-traumatic stress is a thing. When someone is so traumatized by something, they do dissociate. It's in Shakespeare plays. It's in the Bible. There are many stories throughout history of people being so traumatized that they forget. And then later as they're reconciling, they start to remember it's a thing. The difference between just an organic trauma, like a war situation, or you're in a car accident or whatever, the difference between that and what the Satanists do is they do it intentionally. It's planned. We are going to do this at a certain age because we know if we are able to traumatize you to a certain level before you reach the age of eight years old, you will belong to us. You will be our property. And that's how they think of us. They think of us oh, not yeah. as individual people. They think of us as, as assets that they can tap into to help further their work on the earth of, you know, globalizing everything and controlling the politics and the art world and sports and business. That's That's been the goal all along.
1: Everything from A to Z, <laughs> exactly.
0: And what they don't want is people like me waking up, reconciling, realizing what happened to me and then start yelling. That's the the main thing they don't want. Those of us who've healed to speak out. So there have been attempts to shut me up. You saw with my my website JennyHess.com and other. I've been so censored on the internet. You'd be shocked, but maybe not. But you know, my my main message today, Stephen, and this is honestly why I came on the show, is I do not want to see my church destroyed, especially by these types of people. I do not want to see young Mormons deprived of their faith and their relationships, especially with their own parents. But we have to have some period between the wholesale, you know, rape, theft, and torture of the Mormon people and Zion, perfect Zion living. There has to be some sort of line there, maybe a period of years, 10, 20, 30 years, where we recognize that this has been a thing. It's been systemic. There have been many, many people destroyed by what's happened to them. And we have to allow for these stories to come out in the full disinfecting light of the sun and just recognize this is real. Everybody needs to just open up their hearts to it. And it is in the disinfecting light of the sunshine where we will find the truth and true healing. And anything less than that, any attempt to cover up or shush it away or no, we're embarrassed. This is going to destroy the church. Any of those fears need to just, you need to let it go. Because exactly. if you're in that place of wanting to cover up or no, that patriarch or that state pra- president would not do those things or whatever. If that's your position, you are the one who's in a state of perdition and lie. Yeah. And you need to, again, open up your your reality. And, I, this, and this is where compassion comes in too with those people. If someone themselves went through this as a child, they are going to be the ones the most denying it until they have to face it. So in these kind of like knee-jerk reactions by various people, especially in leadership, we're like, no, that's not a thing. That didn't happen. They themselves may be harboring, you know. And so I don't judge those people, you know where you see someone perhaps overreacting or wanting to censor or shove it under the rug, that may be their own trauma kicking in. But that being said, we have to listen to the victims. We have to Absolutely. be willing to entertain the idea that the Mormon people were the most targeted over the Catholics or the Amish or whatever group you're talking about. I personally believe a lot of these rituals are occurring right now in schools, school settings, preschools, public schools, private schools. That was certainly the case with my friend, Sarah Ruth Ashcraft. It all revolved around her school in the Michigan area. Uh, She was part of the, I think it was the Royer school. I can't remember. Anyway, she, uh, she was prostituted out by her own father to anyone in the cult who wanted her sexual services. He thought of her, he thought of himself as a pimp. His daughter was his, his property and she was sold to the highest bidder. And if you can believe it, she claims she had over 20 children who were aborted in these rituals. I, you know, when I, when I cross paths with her on Twitter, it was at the perfect time in my own healing to be talking with someone like her because she grew up in the very same part of Michigan that I did at Roper School is what it was private school, very upscale. And she said, it was just the whole school. It was like, it was the whole school that was involved, but it was validating again to cross paths with her, share stories. She wasn't LDS, but you know, she offered me a ton of support when I was first healing from so much of this stuff. That's, you know, that's why, you know, I really appreciate you being here is because, this is so hard for people
1: to believe you know that when enough people speak up that will help people challenge their thinking and challenge their beliefs you know especially in the mormon culture i mean i'm not trying to tear the church down with the things that i'm talking about bringing on the show and posting etc because i still believe in the gospel of jesus christ you know i do too I just, believe things went off the rails about when Brigham Young took over, and uh, and people need to know what's going on, like you said, because there, there needs to be account. But but like, just like you, I believe deeply, too, that we need to really understand and have empathy, you know, but that doesn't mean you just turn an eye or that people don't have to account for the things that they're doing, because we, we need to protect people, we need to help people heal, and we need to do anything we can put a stop to it because it's, you know, we're talking generally about the Mormon church, but I know with what you, you know, discuss and talk about on your sub stack, you know, you know what's going on in the world. You know, the horrific things that are going on by all the different people. We both know that this stuff is, you know, the globalists have, inf- you know, infiltrated every aspect of, of life basically. And, that's really what got me when I started waking up to this stuff a few years back. It was so hard for me not to believe, but to see that they could play such a long game that they could pull the wool over
0: on the masses and we didn't have a clue for so long. It is it is the scale of it that's just staggering.
1: It is, and that just sucked me in. I've never been one to enjoy school and learning per se Um, but man I just, this sucked me in and I just kept wanting to learn more and research and you know because I do want to find the truth but then I want to be able to do anything I can to help other people see it so that we can put a stop to it and I think you know one of the biggest weapons they have is division and as we can you know continue to focus on the things that divide us you know, whether it's politics, religion, you know, you name it, on and on. um, That's what gives them the ability to continue without, you know, us paying attention. Because we're, you know, we unite, they're done. You know?
0: It's so true.
1: We just really need more love and light in this world. To me, that's what it's all about.
0: I am, at this point, the most concerned about our people. I feel like for the last few years... Uh, it's almost become a joke the the faithful members of our church who are just every day trying to do the best they can. Those who've stayed active have been somewhat mocked by those who have left. And I think that's unfortunate. And I'm grateful for voices who don't do that, who say, no, we don't need to mock each other, put each other down. Again, I loved President Nelson's conference talk where he said, If people leave the church, we should not judge them for that. And that is where my heart is too. If there's anyone who feels like they cannot be a part of their ward or their stake for whatever reason, you don't need to explain that to anybody. You go off and live your life as best you can. And if that means for 20 or 30 years, you have no contact with the church or your family, and you're just off raising your kids because that makes you feel safe, do it, do it. especially if you were abused by a a boy scout leader or your activity days leader or whatever, you don't feel like it's safe to be in church or active with your own kids. If that's what you feel like you need to do to protect your family, do it. Uh, Homeschool. If you don't think your local school is safe, our job as parents is to protect our little ones. And I've taught my own kids. If you can keep them from being molested or abused, Under the age of eight, if you can do that, you know, the, the, um, the evil ones have a saying before eight or it's too late. And what they mean is if they're not able to get their paws on a child, they know that if that child has been protected up to the age of eight by their parents, it is very difficult for them to seduce them into all kinds of dark stuff. And so if parents will have that attitude, look, until my kids, eight, nine, 10, I'm going to make it impossible for anyone to harm this child. If that can be your go-to position, yes, that will indicate the type of lifestyle you need to, to live, which means no daycare centers, no nannies, no preschools, babies are home with mom or dad, period. We're not even going to allow friends or slumber parties or anything into this orbit, unless if it's supervised and careful supervision, not mom and dad in the kitchen and the kids off doing whatever with uncle Joey, you know, real, real watch care, no big family reunions where the kids are running wild. All the adults are in the living room talking, you know, that's where I was personally molested many times is at family gatherings where, you know, the older cousins were messing with the younger cousins. It, it will require a level of parenting that I don't think we've seen ever, but if that's what it takes to get a pure, Generation of kids who've been protected by their parents and kept safe, then yeah, let's do that. So we can have again yeah. this kind of like space between the intergenerational stuff and and what's around the corner. And I love to see all these young families. Have you read about the trad wife movement, traditional wife movement? I these are young moms who are committing to being full time stay at home mothers. They're having lot big families. They often live in rural areas, growing their own food, homeschooling, and they are doing this important work and just owning it. And unapologetically, this is what I'm doing. I believe that type of lifestyle, while it can be lonely at times, especially for the mom who's just home with kids, this will be the lifestyle that will protect the most number of children from these situations that are already endemic in our schools, preschools, camps, all of those sleep away situations. Boarding schools are notorious for this stuff. And also all these teen centers where they welcome kids in who are troubled teens. There's so many of them oh, yeah. in Utah. I would never let one of my loved ones go to one of those things. You know, if you had a choice about it, some of those kids have to go because of the judge. But never, ever, ever let one of your loved ones go to one of those schools. The stories coming out of them are notoriously bad. I think some of the Um, predators in our midst go work at those schools. If they get found out, they just move to another one across town or across the country. And uh, I've said it this way to people who want to understand things. Oh, we don't have any of that sort of thing going on in our institution. Well, that might be true during nine to five business hours when your professional staff is there. This is your group that, you know, they've got their degrees and they're the ones who run things. But there's a second and third set of staff It's nighttime shift number one and nighttime shift number two. And it's in those 16 hours a day when that daytime staff is home, enjoying their family and their life. When these others take over, it was four members of that staff who gang raped me the first night I was in the mental hospital when I was 21. And I, you know, I realized that this is what they did. New patient comes in, they're in distress. This is when they can get away with it. Because if the person shows any symptoms of distress afterwards, oh, she's just psychotic. She's just crazy. And it provides cover for the nighttime activities of which I believe every institution from nursing home to daycare, whatever, has some level of neglect and abuse in it. And it's why if you truly love your loved ones, you should make certain to care for them yourselves. This is something that's in our own doctrine and covenants. We should not be cared for by people who consider us their enemies. We should be cared for by our loved ones. And this is how we will find wellness and wholeness as families going forward. So that's, you know, it's a hard prescription, especially for the young moms today who all want to work and get the nanny and put their kids in daycare. You know, yeah. just think about the risks because, there is no amount of guilt that will assuage your own children being, um, you know, oh, boy, yeah. if they're hurt under your care because of your negligence and inviting abusers into your home or your life and they get hurt, you know, that's on you. You're the mom. So I I am promoting with almost everything I write, everything I talk about, you know, this real dedication of mothering that will give us that pure group of people who have been completely protected. And we can do nothing less.
1: I agree. I think we've got to go back to, you know, the way things used to be more like you're talking about that some of these women are doing, you know, where it's becomes more than norm to, you know, have the gardens grow your own stuff. And, you know, because we know what's been going on with all the stuff you're talking about, as well as all the garbage that we buy whether it's at the grocery store or the restaurants or you know the fast food this society has created to be of convenience and stick us in this rat race and so that we don't take the time and take care of ourselves the right way and it's, it's i think it's you know a time where we really have to evaluate the way we're operating and what we're doing and what we're willing to do to to make a change because as you mentioned yeah it, that would It can be painful to have to do the things like you're talking about to protect that child the way they need to be but you know what's what's the consequence if we're not willing it's too great in my mind
0: well i'd love to share one final story with you and then i probably need to stop because i i go an hour and then i just get exhausted yep um after we had our fourth child we kind of felt like we were done don't think we can have any more we were you know how it is when you have four kids um Uh (laughs) But six years after I had my fourth baby, I was going through a really difficult time. My brother had died. I had reconciled for about a year. And one day I was just not doing well at all. And I felt a presence come into my kitchen. They always have these these things in my kitchen. But it was a male personage. And I didn't see him or anything, but I felt his presence. And he said, you can't kill yourself because I want you to be my mom i remember having the thought you know <clears throat> if there is somebody out there in the ether who thinks i can pull it together enough to have another baby given the current circumstances and my mental health you know really being bad i must not be as sick as i think and you know if he's willing to take a chance on me i i'm willing to do the work if if He thinks it'll be good. So a couple of months later, we conceived our fifth child. And unbeknownst to me, this child was coming into my life to be the catalyst for my own healing. And I have heard this from so many victims who have said during one of their pregnancies or one of their child's uh, growing up years, as as my son hit certain ages, I remember things that happened to me at that same age. So he he turned three and I started to reconcile something that happened when I was three. And because he was part of my day-to-day life, I was able to see how truly innocent and young I was and how horrifying that this happened to me. And nobody noticed. Nobody really helped me. And then something else happens and he's seven and I'm reconciling something on a seven. This continued right up until he left home when he was 18. He's 21 now, but you know, he was the catalyst for my healing. And there were, there were moments over those years when I felt guilty, when he would, he would be better with anybody except me. Oh, how horrifying they has, especially my, my hospitalization in 2012, he was a 10 year old boy, you know, and I, I'm having this breakdown. It would be so much better for him to be with another mom who could do more for him but I always was able to go back to that first humble communication I had from him was, I want you. I want you. it was like, okay, warts and all, this is what you got, you know? And so I tried to do the best I could as a mom to, to raise him. He's turned out beautifully. He's such a love and just, you know, the apple of my eye, I, I can't even imagine my life without him in it. He's getting married in May. And I'm just so pleased at the way his life has turned out because you think as a parent, especially when you feel broken, that, you know, of course, you're going to come up with all these broken kids because that's how it works. And he's just been such a, a, you know, a light for both my husband and I. And so that would be my final message to anyone out there who's healing, who feels broken, who feels like they don't have anything to contribute to anyone, especially to a baby to just kind of expand your thinking a little bit, that perhaps you are the very person to raise this child to adulthood, that you will be helped every step of the way by a loving Heavenly Father who wants you to love and protect your child as only you can do. Because of, I had woken up for a couple of months before we conceived him, I, I watched that kid like a hawk. You know, oh, kept him by my side. We didn't go to any of the family reunions. It was just, you know, mom in full-on protection mode, which honestly, that's what we need going forward. We need all moms yeah. to be in protection mode, to come up with a generation of children who are not, um, just have their lives derailed by all of this, yeah. all of this demonic stuff. And so again, if you, feel the need to step away from the church, step away from your family, go off to a safe place in a seeming wilderness in order to provide a safe space for your child to grow, my message to you is do it. No guilt, no apology. You don't need to explain anything to anyone. If you can yeah. do it with a loving spouse, that's all the better. And just be confident that you will, you will have everything you need to raise this child. And, you know, Steve, I'm, I'm going to confess the most embarrassing thing of my life. I did not have this with this child, but with my other two sons, there were times when I was tempted to molest them. It often happened when I was changing their diapers, you know, moms, they're constantly bathing their children, changing diapers. It didn't happen a lot, just a handful of times. But when it happened, I would be like, ah, Where did this come from? Oh my gosh. I can't believe I'm having these thoughts about my own child, you know, and I would say out loud, I love you. I would never hurt you. You know, trying to be just so clear. I am not, I am not a child molester, but it was like, where is this coming from? This happened before I remembered anything, but I was tempted and I share that again in the spirit of wanting for everyone to acknowledge that if you have been victimized, you can become a victimizer and you need to be so careful in how you touch your children and treat them. And if you have these thoughts, you know, they call it a minor attracted person, a map. If you have these thoughts, most likely they stem from your own childhood traumas. It doesn't mean you're a molester. It doesn't mean you're a child abuser. You can consciously say to yourself, these are not my thoughts. This is yeah. not who I am. You don't have to act on your thoughts. You're not your thoughts. You know? Right. You can cast those thoughts out, replace them with something positive and good. I did that by saying, I love you. I would never hurt you. And that helped. But I share that again. This is, you know, these are my deepest, darkest secrets, Steve. I'm sharing right now with you.
1: Tell you what, I appreciate your vulnerability. I mean, you're an incredibly strong person, incredibly inspirational person. And I just can't thank you enough for coming on and just being this vulnerable and and open about it because, you know, I believe you're willing to because you want to help people.
0: I do. I do. And where a therapist, where a therapist might say, Oh my gosh, you had a thought like that. That means X, Y, Z. Well, parents have thoughts about all kinds of things. They have thoughts about wanting to hurt their children or shut their children up or, you know, especially when you're sleep deprived and you have young babies and toddlers and it's walls closing in, you know, parents have thoughts, but it is not our thoughts that make us criminals. It is our behavior. And so in that space between thoughts and then acting on those thoughts, you have some willpower as an individual. You do not have to act on your thoughts. And I believe I never did. My kids have also said, I don't, I don't think you ever hurt us, mom. And that's been comforting too, to just um, have them say that out loud. And if, if I did something inappropriate ever with someone and I forgot it, I am humble enough to say, if someone can make a convincing case that I hurt them in some way, I will bow down to whatever legal repercussions there might be. You know, in the spirit of wanting to um, be accountable for my thoughts and my behavior. You know, if there's something I did and it's like, yeah, I can buy that. And that person says, all right, we need to get some justice. You know, instead of being one of these perpetrators who's like, didn't happen. Not me. This is all a lie. She's crazy. I believe I would be more humble than that and just say, okay, if I need to be punished for something I did and i don't remember it okay i will take my punishment but I, I don't think i did i don't know that i would be able to talk about this right now if i had moved yeah. into perpetrator space i don't know the, i don't know though i do believe everybody has this space probably in their 20s 30s where they go from being you know i'm a victim to being more comfortable with being a perpetrator and it's in that choosing you know, I'm going to do these things for whatever reason that there, I believe there will be some accountability to heavenly father. Although I trust him to judge all of it perfectly in the eternities. And for those who are judged by civil courts and spend some time in prison here on earth, I think that's appropriate, especially for the victims and future victims that they not be allowed to perpetrate. But, um, you know i i still haven't sorted it all out in my head it is the biggest mind bender that you can have as as someone trying to heal
1: yeah, well, i mean just for you to even state that shows the power of what the abuse does to the mind for you to you know for you to be willing to just share that it's a possibility not probably not the case but you know the fact you'd even say that shows a ton of the power of how this affects the mind. And so.
0: Well, and I know for, I know for a fact that there are some people who choose not to be parents because they feel so broken. And I respect that. If there's someone out there who's like, this is the family life is not for me. I can't do it. I won't do it. Or they're in a situation where they are feeling tempted to rape, molest, torture their own kids. And they leave. To protect their own child, I'm not going to judge that. I think there are many moms and dads who get out of their own marriages because they want to protect their own kids from themselves. And I respect that, you know. So each individual has to sort it out in their own mind how they will move forward. But we do not need to judge each other harshly or be in a place of condemning. You know, that's that's left to the Lord. And right. my message to everyone is just, you know, the main thing is, was to talk about the kill switch. And if you're suicidal, you know, recognize that they did this to you and that you don't need to off yourself. You don't need to leave this, this mortal plane. You know, I'm sure anyone who listens to this show in the future, um, who's in that space of not remembering yet, the show might be incredibly triggering for you. And one of the things I've done over the years that's really helped is I would listen to uh, masterworks like the Messiah, Brahms Requiem, Mozart's Requiem, Mormon hymns. You know, the music changes the frequency of what you're feeling in your mind, and your heart. And so I have turned to music again and again as my therapy of choice over the medications or the booze or, or whatever to help me when I was in that you know, just shaken, shaken space. So that's the final thing I'll offer. And then I've also had a lot of help from essential oils.
1: Yeah, that's great. In fact, yeah, that's, I was reading about that. You're involved with that. And uh, I think there's a lot of good that those can do for sure. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. Uh, just to wrap up, where can people find you? Your Substack is jennyhatch.substack.com. Is that correct?
0: It is. I have several websites. Healthyfamilies.life is where I have the Hamblum docs, which I published as soon as I got my hands on them. An indie journalist put in a grandma request with the Provo Police back in June of 2022. He handed all those files off to me and I published them on that web that website. It's a WordPress blog. And I put all the video and audio files on my Dropbox. And if anybody wants to donate to my Substack, I do have ongoing costs tied to my Dropbox and my WordPress. So I love donations or subscriptions to my Substack because it helps offset those costs, which are a couple hundred bucks a year. And people have stepped up to donate. And thank you to all of those of you who have. Um, I'm also on healthyfamilies.substack.com. This is a Substack that's more devoted to education issues, healthcare issues. Uh, I don't share any of the sexual ritual abuse stuff on that Substack. I think of that as my like more anodyne, calm, gentle. You know, these long-term issues of healthcare and education are where I'm an activist. So I share all of my activism there, but um, I keep the jennyhatch.substack.com kind of cloistered away behind the paywall, hoping that you know it's a little bit more private. Perhaps if there are some kids who are reading they're not going to read it if it's behind a paywall in general right and so that's why i intentionally created a second one to just kind of have these more difficult subjects which are you know you don't want to go triggering someone intentionally but if someone's out there looking for answers i'm hoping they'll cross paths with some of my stuff so they can use it as they will to help them heal but um At the end of the day, if someone's in a place of dissociation and they read some of these things, they'll just dissociate some more if they're not able to face it. And so that kind of that kind of comforts me, you know, that that failsafe is there to protect them. And when they are mature enough and old enough, and I've said this to women over the years, a woman in her 20s will contact me. I think some of this happened to me. I'm not quite sure what to do. And I said, There is nothing you can do until your own mind recognizes that you're mature enough to face it. So tuck it away, maybe journal it a little bit, do your life, and when the time is right, and for many people that's after their kids are grown or they're teenagers and they're not so needy, that's when the memories will come back. And you, you really can't do anything to bring it up on your own. It will just come up when when your body and your mind recognize that you're able to, to process it. I've even heard from people like Fiona, processed some stuff, you know, Barnett. And then there was a 15-year break when she was busy with her two girls and didn't have support. She had to tuck it away, and then she consciously came back to it and was able to finish the reconciliation process. She used EMDR with her therapist to reconcile the trauma, which is a very powerful uh, remedy from certain therapists who use it, the rapid eye movement. My husband's used that, and it's also been very effective.
1: Well, great. That's, that's some great information and I'll uh, make sure to have all those links in the show notes as well. So, well, thanks again. I really, really appreciate your time and, uh, you know, you're a powerful woman and God bless you and your family and, and uh, hope to stay in touch with you.
0: Yeah. I'd love to come back on, especially if you have people who have specific questions, need something fleshed out. Great. Yeah. Anytime. Just let me know. I, I was really impressed by your, your operation. You know, it was very, professional and you know very organized
1: we're trying
0: yeah (laughs) no it's great
1: okay well thanks again and uh we'll talk to you soon then
0: all right thanks steve
1: hey take care bye-bye the recording has stopped thank you jenny
0: thank you